It's Lifeline with Jesse Gestand. He's the host of Way of Grace, a pastor and a community leader. He's a teacher and an inspiration. He's Lifeline's own Jesse Gestand. Yep, in the house with you on this Monday edition of Lifeline. I uh, trust you're doing okay. The weather is such that it makes us all wonder how we should approach the next several weeks before we are confronted with the new year. It's certainly cool this evening, and uh, plan, plans are, according to uh, the uh, news weather report, that it will be breezy, uh, high miles up to 29 miles per hour. This is true. I was out today, and I found myself constantly confronted with the winds. You may have as well, so be very careful to maintain a strengthening of your immune system. You know, uh, Drink a lot of water. I say this every year about this time. Drink a lot of water. Uh, make sure you rest. Um, boost your system with really good uh, vitamin supplements, not the junk stuff, but really good vitamin sub- supplements. And, uh, yeah, be strategic about what you do over the next couple, two or three or four weeks. Don't just be meandering about. Don't don't just be running around. That's, that's part of what... Uh, the adversary would love for you to do under the assumption that the nature of this particular holiday season is really about uh, hustle and bustle and going here and going there there and, and purchasing this and purchasing that and, well, just stressing yourself out. You, you should not do that. If you want to take my advice, I would encourage you really to find a way to kind of reprieve from, take a reprieve from uh, the momentum that 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 our consumer culture really starts sort of forcing upon us at this time of the year, right after Thanksgiving, as you guys know, Black Friday. What a what a way to put it. Black Friday uh, occurs and people are purchasing things as if uh, their life depended upon it. And from that day forward, um, it's all about people's minds being on uh, really uh, the whole consumer business. And as a consequence, uh, people are uh, coming into contact with lots of people they don't know. Uh, people are half sick. People are whole sick. Uh, and so these are very, very, very perilous times on a physical level, certainly on an emo- emotional level as well, uh, and, and, and definitely on a spiritual level. So as a pastor, I am constantly being reminded by, by many that uh, this is a season that uh, is not always welcome. People don't always look forward to this season for many, 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 many reasons, uh, personal reasons, often having to do with the loss of loved ones recently or um, at length over long periods of time so that when we come around the holiday season where people are used to gathering in numbers, well, many of us just don't have that kind of enthusiasm and desire to do it. And so sometimes we're compelled to do it, but we really don't want to do it, which means that a lot of us are in conflict at this time of the season. This is really a time uh, for uh, for all of us to be in prayer. This is a very dangerous season, um, if you understand what I'm getting at, where people will go through the form, but personally, they will be susceptible to all sorts of things that are not necessarily good. And although we are in the holiday season, uh, the 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 sound of the landscape is pretty clear. What what I'm hearing in the world at large 
this instability, if you if you were to really um, peruse the news and just pause for a moment and listen, one of the dominating uh, attributes of our present day is instability, a lot of political instability, questionable um, <clears throat> integrity with our politicians, as you know, uh, highly visible people are are scattering for cover from accusations, as we talked about last week, relative to uh, moral and ethical issues, which are unavoidable for us as human beings. And even your average on the ground folks are are dealing with conflicts and fears and anxieties and stresses and distresses and depressions uh, and hostilities. Quite frankly, um, today we are dealing with more protest. We're dealing with more confrontation. We're dealing with more buzz in the media about this thing or that thing. We're still dealing with massive, massive, massive uh, migration of people who have lost their homes due to war and other sorts of conflicts around the world. That is not going away. Um, People are, in fact, moving into a different philosophical perspective and worldview and even lifestyles as a consequence of it. And so when the Bible tells us that the last days there will be perilous times and begins to hallmark uh, individuals and then settings and context, uh, we can see that presently. We can see that whether we are in a cycle or, in fact, moving towards a real climactic uh, a conclusion to, um, to, to, to things as they have been for such a long time um, – It still is pretty evident to most of us that we are on the brink of a radical transition. I think you would agree with that. Um, If it's not with regards to war, which seems to be imminent all the time and growing, um, it's in regards to our economy. For those of us who are uh, somewhat aware of the still and yet problematic economic situation in the West here in America uh, and a lack of substantial jobs by which people can actually make a living. And on on top of that, our political systems not having an answer at all and still bantering about the dialectic of uh, disagreement between the Republicans and the Democrats, et cetera. Uh, We know that much of any kind of recovery of our economic situation is going to lie largely On the ground, with the people on the ground, you and me. That means that you're going to have to actually be much more, um, uh, uh, exercise a greater level of dexterity uh, in terms of what kind of, uh, you know, economic choices you're going to make, financial choices you're going to make in terms of surviving. You're going to have to broaden your parameters, change your methodology, uh, reevaluate your assumptions about uh, maybe your education and and, 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 and your your skill sets. We've been talking about this for decades now. I know every since the 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 financial bust in 2008, but really the fact of the matter is particularly here in California there is a lot of problems with just housing and people being able to afford the rent let alone afford the other amenities that go with it, uh, cars and and uh, resources and and all of the other paraphernalia that that we seem to need in our life. These are really, really interesting times, and I don't see an answer in front of us. Certainly, um, I see nothing coming from the White House relative to a real substantial uh, uh, solving of the problem. 
And uh, as you can sense, if you're paying any attention, uh, that's not even a conversation right now. And it always ends up being that way. If you ask me, it always ends up being that when there's a new administration, a new president coming into office, there are a number of salient promises that he they make to the people. And then six months in, they are back on the same old track of conflict, global issues, uh, political issues that have nothing to do with a direct solving of the problem of the average person on the ground. And what that means for the Christian, what that means for the believer, if in fact my assessment is somewhat true, what that means for the believer is if you and I as a, uh, a child of God and somewhat grounded in God's word and understand our missional call in our world are aware of the fact that the average person or people or families that we meet are indeed uh, dealing with internal fears, uh, hidden anxieties, stress levels that are off the chart in many ways, uh probably um, fenced about, if you will, with depression uh, at the level of the soul and the psyche, if not also of the spirit, uh, and and are in a place of temptation to move away from their confidence in Christ or their confidence in, um, in, in Scripture or their confidence in God at all. There are lots of people, ladies and gentlemen, moving away. And, of course, we call this the apostasy. Uh, where people finally just let go of the hope of the gospel and the word of God and the framework by which the gospel and the word of God has been held up, and that is the church. Uh, And yet you and I straddle both that world and the world to come, don't we? We straddle the world of our loved ones who are not uh, necessarily demonstrating um, or professing to be utterly committed to the claims of the gospel, the person in the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, the reality of God in Christ, the truth and efficacy and power of the gospel and and the guiding light and um, and sufficiency of Scripture so that the average person that you you know in your family is just not at all committed, not a committed Christian. And, but yet and still, they live in the same world that you and I do, and they're being bombarded by the same media that you and I are. And they're, they're, they're troubled in their soul by the same issues that we are at least aware of if we're not troubled by them. And so that being the case, uh, what is the job of the church to do in a world where, where all of this has been going on for a long time and is only escalating? Well, I'm going to give you four or five things before we take a break. Got a couple of questions that was given to me earlier that I, I think are apropos to talk about. And uh, one of those questions is about worship. And the other question is about Christmas. You know, we're coming up on the Christmas season. And the the uh, question always is around Christmas trees in the form of holidays that take place uh, towards that time of the year. And what what does the Bible have to say about it, et cetera? So I'll address that because I know there's always new listeners that are always wondering about how is it that we are succumbing to or practice these kinds of expressions of Christmas and, and why. So we'll touch on that after the break. But I'll share this with you, individual Christian or couple or family uh, with regards to if you are aware of your society, as Ephesians 5 says you ought to be, be circumspect. Um, be aware of your environment because the days are indeed evil. And that means that you and I are not to be so uh, hidden within the uh, confines of our own life that we're in a a cocoon and unaware of what's going on with our neighbors. 
we're left here for our neighbors. And so here's going to be uh, five things that I would just say uh, you want to do. Just in case God gives you an assignment where someone comes to you and you say, hey, you know, I've been listening to the news and, and I've been watching what's going on in our world. And I'm, I'm constantly frequenting the Internet and I'm disturbed about this. I'm disturbed about that. Now, you say you're a Christian. Can you tell me then what you think about this? How would you handle this situation or that? That's what you're here for. You, you and I are here for that. We're not here to just walk past our neighbors every day and not be ready to engage them in the matters that pertain to both them as well as us. So the first thing that I do want to say about how we should approach that as the church, which also has a gazillion problems in it, notwithstanding you and I who are professing Christians and we do know God and Christ and are really rooted in God's word and have a sound understanding of what we are and whose we are and where we're going. And we do understand we're here for a mission to bear record to the truth and witness to the grace and power of God. Here's what I'm going to say. The first thing that you want to do is actually keep it real. When you talk to your neighbor, don't put on the Mary Kay Christian smile and start talking as if you've got the world by the tail on a downhill slide. The church has already had that emperor exposed. You're not all that. Just keep it real. You'll find that you'll be able to engage your neighbor who doesn't go to church and doesn't talk about God uh, far more deeply and far more profoundly if you just come off to them as authentic. Let them know you have a jacked up day too. Keep it real. That's the first thing, because there's very little real Christianity. There's a lot of uh, immature Christianity going on. I'm talking about real Christianity, where you um, where you can keep it real. You can talk about what it means to be um, both sinful and righteous at the same time, because that's exactly what you are. The second thing you want to do is listen carefully. What I mean by that is don't rush to give an answer when they're talking. Just listen. Go, mm-hmm. And let them vent, let them open up, let them share what's going on within them. They may just need to be um, given an opportunity to let it out. Just let, just, just let them exhaust themselves. And then even when they've exhausted themselves, just say, I, I hear you. I hear you. That's interesting. Uh, you want to go on and develop that? Because I'm, I'm here to listen. That'll be great. So keep it real. Listen carefully to them. Remember James chapter one around verse 19 or so. Be quick to the hearing, slow to the speaking, slow to wrath, because you get to talking quickly. The next thing you know, you're in conflict. Um, the third thing that you and I want to do, recognizing what's going on in our world with all of these difficulties is, is find a way to engage the culture. That's number three. Find a way to engage the culture. Don't Isolate yourself. That is anti-gospel Christianity. Engage the culture. Find an issue in the culture that actually not only you resonate with, but you can tell by how God has shaped your life and qualified you to be able to speak into that situation or engage that situation and pray about it. Get a couple of witnesses from people who really know you and, and may also want to engage with you. And engage the culture in that particular sphere, that space, that situation. Engage the culture 
so as to build a bridge of dialogue between you and it around what you know and believe to be the answer. In other words, be ready to serve the culture in the context of difficulty, knowing that God can work through you to share truth with them. Two more. Seek, actually one more for now. Seek to demonstrate the superior hope of the gospel in a real savior. This is so important. Seek to demonstrate by your life, by your tranquility, by your temperance. Like that's what Philippians says, right? Let your moderation be known unto all men. Let your temperance be known unto all men. Let your stability, let your sense of tranquility, let your sense of confidence be known to all men that the Lord is at hand. That is, he's sovereignly ruling over everything, good and bad and ugly, even though we don't understand it. Um, and that if men would happily seek after him, we can commend to them a savior that can bring about a level of peace and joy in their heart. And then a process by which they can deal with life a tons lot better than the way they're doing it without God. So there you go. I'm going to repeat those after the break. Way overdue. Um, the lines are open. If you guys want to do some Q and a, some comments, some observations, one triple eight. Three six seven five three two nine one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. If you got questions or observations about where we are in this season, be glad to hear from you as we enjoy the next hour and uh, let's say twenty minutes on this Monday edition of Lifeline with yours truly, Jesse Gistan. We'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline with Jesse Gistan. And we're back the time, 524, three lines open, one 367 If you want to call, discuss, discuss something, ask a question, or just uh, make an observation about something that you see going on in this season, um, as I was expressing in my opening monologue, we are in a precarious sort of state. Great holiday season. Love the season of the nativity. Love the season of the birth of Christ. Love to to worship the newborn king. Love to exalt the son of the living God. I do. I do. And I have discovered that that is the thing that we should do year after year after year, notwithstanding all of the paraphernalia that has no uh, substantial relationship to the essence of uh, the incarnation whatsoever. And the job of the believers to distinguish between the two so that you can give people real Christianity instead of this consumer-oriented, uh, conflated and syncretized Christianity that has dominated the West for so many decades. Um, again, we'll expand on that here in a moment. But I've got three lines open, one 367 If you have a question or a comment or an observation, I'd love to hear from you. Let's go to line one and talk with Pauline in San Jose. Pauline, are you there? I'm here, Jesse. Hi. What's your question, observation, comment? Hi. I'm glad you, uh, you're talking about keeping it real. So uh, I'm part of the, the ministry on the outreach ministry at um, Bethesda Community Church, and I'm finding um, that if we just keep it um, appointment set date every third Saturday, we meet at the church at 10 o'clock, go out and witness the people, invite them to church, hang up door hangers, and just keep it real. I mean, uh, just the other day I was um, going to a doctor's apartment, and the guy in front of me, he was taking a long time to wait for someone to get a parking spot, mm-hmm. and I honked my horn at him. So mm-hmm. anyway, he ended up getting in the parking spot. He goes inside his the building, and I got into my appointment, and 
behold, there he is sitting on the chair that I had. The only seat next to him was available. And I said, that was me, by the way. He said, oh, no, that's okay. He said that person was taking a long time. But anyway, but if we just keep our, if we open up our mouths, God's going to use us. Because after sharing with this uh, young black man, uh, he's been through a lot. He just got out of jail. Uh, he went into uh, having a father that didn't love him, didn't know who he, who his father was. Mm-hmm. And so just ministering to him, telling him there's a lot of black men that are growing up that don't even have fathers. At, your father didn't have, may not have his father growing up, and he had to probably take care of his siblings and help his mother pay rent or bills or whatever. So he probably said, what you should do is just send him a letter. Tell him I love you. I forgive you for not being a a father to me. But I just find out that if we just open up our mouths, we don't know what's going to come out of it. Just let God use us and because we can be real with them because a lot of us have the same issues. I agree with you fully um, with uh, is that true? Is that, is that her or us? Okay. I agree with you fully, uh, Pauline, in terms of keeping it real. That's That was my first point. People sense authenticity. Um, and even when you make a mistake, like, you know, blowing the horn at the dude, you know, hey, you acknowledge that. And that was great because a lot of times, you know, they don't, people don't particularly care. You know, we're crowded here in the Bay Area. But it is an opportunity for them to to recognize that you weren't um, you weren't uh, insensitive to, to offenses that we can have towards people. I would say this because I'm a pastor. And so I, I do take propositions fairly seriously. We don't want to open our mouths and not not be ready to say the right thing, because anything coming out is not the, the way to, to to witness and share. So we do want to prepare our hearts to engage people with thoughtful discourse. I think you would agree with that. Yeah. Right. Yes, but, I but and 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 also a spontaneous and um and just dynamic meaning like you said with regards to the uh, young African male I really appreciate that and I don't know you Pauline from the Man on the Moon unless of course I do and I just can't recognize your voice but um for you to even recognize that that individual that young man has a struggle that he can turn and employ in a redemptive way towards his dad uh by giving uh his dad the benefit of the doubt of a struggle in his dad's life that is so strategic in terms of how we use our words and I've been working through the whole sort of philosophy and approach of wise words as believers relative to 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 talking with people and engaging them. That young man probably would have never thought about that because he would have been in the heat of his anger, like many of us uh, young mm-hmm. men uh, who have had to deal with the the ravages of a culture where we didn't grow up with our dads and would have never had the peripheral uh, uh, clarity that you gave him. And that is all we need to do as believers until the conversation moved more, more towards a personal uh, struggle by which we can come into them and recommend them to the savior so i definitely appreciate uh i appreciate your call so how how long have you been engaging in 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 witnessing and going out with the uh with the church that you're with up there i've been doing this for 10 years and i i did call you last monday this is pauline i'm one of the twins is putting on this event for okay. saturday oh yeah 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 yeah. yeah 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 keep going so right. it's still going on Saturday, December 9th at San Lorenzo Park in Santa Cruz at 1 o'clock. We've talked to so many pastors, so many churches, and people are getting excited about it. Excellent. And we're already putting up signs, and it's going forward. So we, right. we already got the permits and everything. We just need the 700 people to come on out and join us hand in hand and, and walk this bridge. 
and um, see what God's going to do that day. Now, now give us the address and the time again, Pauline. Okay, so the address is um, it's this Saturday, December 9th at San Lorenzo Park in Santa Cruz okay, at go. 1 o'clock, right behind the city county offices. And the website is divine, www.divinesdesign.com. That's D-V-I-N-E-S. D-E-S-I-G-N-S dot com. Excellent. Excellent. Thanks for the call. And then uh, if you want to, you can call me back and give me an update of how, how it went and, and be ready for God to do whatever he's going to do, because that's what he does. And then we simply thank, thank him so for it. All and right. For those that can't come, uh, keep us all in prayer that God will have a, his way out there in that time. Absolutely. And that you guys are safe in all of that, because that's important, too, at this time of the year. OK. Okay, thank you so All right, much. God blessings. Me. Yes, yes. So think about this now. You know, here here's Pauline. Pauline was actually at our race relations uh, conference a couple of weeks ago. That's when I met her. She's been listening to to our program for years, um, as she told me, which I hear frequently when I'm out. And I'm thankful for that because radio is a major tool in the dissemination of the gospel, and as well, uh, building up people in the faith on a more personal and, uh, again, uh, specific and acute level. So here we are talking about um, uh, redeeming the time, are we not? We're talking about how we can uh, manage this season, which can carry over into January and February by four fundamental principles. During this holiday season, we want to keep it real, keep it real. We want to make sure that we're being authentic as we engage people. People can detect when you're just a religious con. So we want to keep it real. Then we also want to listen carefully because sometimes people are hurting And they talk through their hurt. And if we don't sense that, we'll respond to the mere words rather than the intent and motive behind it. Uh, And then engage the culture. That's exactly what Pauline and them are doing. They're engaging the culture up there in Santa Cruz. That's a look at that. Now, you and I you and I know, don't we? We know that part of the dirty little secret about Christians in, in the West is that a lot of Christians just go to church and do not actually function as the church in any real robust way. You guys, we know that, don't we? We we really do. And so we don't really see the dynamic of the gospel manifested in Christians' lives on a practical level where they are indeed, um, you know, stewarding their time, their talents, and their treasures. But uh, Pauline is, and I would hope and pray that many of you listening would be doing exactly the same thing, stewarding your time talent and treasure and not hiding your gift under a bushel and just simply, you know, wasting your time. Uh, So keep it real. Uh, Listen carefully, engage the culture and then seek to demonstrate the superior hope in a real savior. That that is probably an area of deficiency that I, I, you know, I would be really concerned about is if, in fact, you do have an opportunity to talk to your average 21st century postmodern uh, liberal or progressive uh, uh, persuaded mindset who just, you know, it's just not buying into, you know, the, the, the old paradigm of just coming at them and bombarding them with several scriptures and 
and your religious zeal, uh, but they're going to engage you on the level of proposition and, and ask you, you know, something very substantive about what you say you believe. And if you're not quite ready to demonstrate um, from a biblical perspective why it is that you offer to them salvation in Christ and the grace of God in Christ and the truth of Scripture that is able to actually grace them to understand what they're going through and then to embrace the promises of God's word that a real and true and living God is able to meet their needs and answer them when once they have come to know him in the person of Christ through a real saving experience, a real salvation experience. Um, We have to be able to demonstrate why that message is still as valid today as it was 2000 years ago. We can't assume it. We have to be able to declare it, explain it, and then demonstrate it as well if we want to be helpful to them. And so, yeah, um, that's where we are in this season. Now, I'm going to take a break. When I come back, I'm going to answer a question that came to me recently today uh, around the nature of worship. It goes like this, Pastor Jesse, as the saints gather for worship and the music begins if I know the song, I close my eyes and I do my best to praise the Lord and focus on Christ. Now, I don't I don't mind when there are pictures on the video screen with beautiful landscapes or a, a cross because it reminds me of the Lord's majesty. But right now we have this graphic overhead and the latest thing that we've got going on in our church is a neon light bar, a neon light bar on the stage. Visually, it looks cool, but that's about it. And the individual that's sharing with me is asking me, is this something that I'm supposed to just endure because it distracts me, it bothers me? Now, obviously, the topic here is around whether or not the freedom to worship uh, constitutes the freedom to innovate in such a way that people are distracted. Well, that's what we're going to talk about when we come back from the break. All the lines are open if you want to call me, one 367 1-888-367-5329. We'll be right back. And now, back to Lifeline with Jesse Gistand. The time is 539 on this Monday edition of Lifeline. All of our lines are open if you want to call in. If you've had a question for a long time and you just want to, want to get that out there, give me a call, one uh, 888 If you're having some challenges about the holiday season, I'd be glad to hear from you on that as well. As I stated in our opening monologue, uh, this is a challenge for people. A lot of people are bowing out, uh, avoiding gathering together with loved ones, uh, just isolating themselves um, and just not engaging. Uh, and, and I understand that. I understand that with all of the stuff that's bombarding our culture and um, and impacting people's thoughts, quite frankly, uh, moving people and shifting people uh, emotionally and psychologically uh, and distancing them from uh, from a, a robust expression and celebration of the season. I can see that. I can see that. I, and, and that's why I'm saying as well, before I go to um, this, the question that our uh, one of our uh, callers has 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 given to me, um, I think that this season as believers, we ought to really just labor to be authentic and, and meet people in those uh, unique spaces that occur when we are, like our sister Pauline said, behind them in the parking lot and end up blowing the horn at them. 
um, or catch them in the grocery store or catch them at the hospital or catch them at the park or, or whatever. Don't just, you know, don't just isolate, speak, engage them. Um, and uh, if you have a healthy church, you know, if you have a healthy church, invite them to church. You would be surprised. The missional church is one of the greatest manifestations and postures of this thing called church. We can have the missional church. You will be surprised at how many people are really contemplating going to church. You would really be surprised. The reason they don't largely is not because they don't want to. It's because no one really asks them to go. It's because no one really asks them to go. And, 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 and here is the reason why they don't, because normalcy does not allow us to do what we don't normally do until we are compelled, as the gospel puts it, concerning the supper that was prepared, who sent his servants out to, and to tell men and women to come as family and friends, and everybody made excuses. And yet some came, and when the service came back and the, uh, the owner of the supper realized there was plenty of room left, he said, go and compel them. You know, we can get into the unseemly and uh, the unfortunate and the disenfranchised and the poor and the lame and the maim that he said, go get. And this is all referring to the gospel. As you know, bring them in. That that really takes a divine anointing for, for Christians to really go talk to people that are extremely down and out. But that's really what we need to be doing, because often we're not engaging we're not missional. We're not winning souls for Christ. As I've said it so many times, you can look up and it can be 10 years that you haven't influenced anybody for the Lord Jesus. Now, you know, you know, that's a problem. And pastors need to be on their face weeping when they know their churches have not done that. Um, and this is a great season for it. Authentic conversation with people rooted in listening to what they have to say engaging the culture strategically at points of need, and then seeking to demonstrate a superior hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ so that that person is compelled to at least see what you're talking about. That's utterly exciting. The The question that our friend raised was, is it all right for me to struggle with a neon light flashing from a bar on the stage? Um, as many of our sort of a uh, modern, extra modern churches are given to these forms and shapes of the environment for worship, as you guys know, that's so bizarre. I'm, the, the very facility that we now are occupying in Hayward as Grace Bible Church was a dark when we when we when we leased it, there, it was a dark building painted gray with with dark blue carpet and, and 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 lights on the stage that fundamentally made it look like a nightclub scenario. It was dark. It was so dark. I said, how on earth can people actually think that they are engaging the true and the living God who himself is light in a nightclub scenario? Well, strobe lights and smoke and and um, excessive uh, emanations of uh, of emblems and signs and and uh, icons and images are completely unbiblical. Completely unbiblical. Two things I'm going to say about that, and then I'll I'll take your phone calls. Two things I do want to say about that. Your worship in minds, if we're going to be worshiping the God of the Bible, the the God of heaven and earth, the, the true and the living God, he must be the centerpiece of worship. 
This is one of the things the the reformers understood coming out of Catholicism and Greek orthodoxy with their heavy imagery and symbolism and iconography uh, iconography that takes place in their assemblies and facilities. Granted, all of that eye candy is wonderful when you when you don't really understand that the core of true worship has to do with a mind illuminated by the truth of God's word so that you actually see God in his glory and understand him in his majesty and and, and love him in the beauty of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a revelation that the spirit gives. So John 4, 24, 25. The hour is coming when the Father will seek such to worship him that worship him in spirit and in truth so that your worship is really only authentic when it starts from the inside as a result of biblical proposition, not from the outside by noise or music or images. Spiritual worship starts internally, and it's a consequence of either already resident biblical proposition that has metabolized into a revelation and illumination of the true and the living God revealed in Christ so that your soul is prostrate in joy and thanksgiving because Christ has been revealed to you, as the psalmist puts it in Psalm 80, verse 1. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you that lead Joseph like a flock. You that dwell between the cherubim, shine forth. So the Old Testament church, which is a type of the New Testament church, had the same centrality of worship, and that is the Ark of the Covenant, where the propitiation took place, where the blood was shared, which anticipated and pointed to Christ and him crucified, which is the reason why we celebrate the Incarnation. True worshipers worship God in Christ revealed to us in biblical proposition so that our hearts are aflamed towards God when we praise him and worship him in song and hymn and spiritual song. Some paraphernalia is great for the adorning of the building. But when you use existential external things as a mechanism by which you kind of flashlights here and there and, and smoke and, and, and glitter and, and, and nightclub balls and all of that, that, all of that is unbiblical. Unbiblical. So Yolanda and Marlis, you hold on. I'm going to take a break. When I come back, I'll answer your questions. There are two lines open, one 367 Then we'll get into the issue of Christmas. I have another caller saying, hey, what's, what's going on with the trees and the gifts and stuff? I'm a new believer, and I really want to know, is it right for me to to continue with the practice that I grew up with in my culture, in my family, but we weren't Christian and we didn't know the word of God and we were just doing Rudolph and, and gifts and all that. And should we as Christians be engaged now? You know, every year as we come upon the birth of Christ, as we celebrate it, um, these questions have to be deal, dealt with and answered. So how do we as Christians justify traditions that we know are not biblical, um, but may not be harmless? How do we frame that and remain biblical? We'll talk about that, too, when we come back. Two lines are open, one 367 Glad to be with you. Hope you're glad to be with me as well. We'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline with Jesse Gistand. And we are back. The time is 5.51 on the Monday edition of Lifeline. Let's see here. Let's go to line one and talk with Yolanda first in Oakland. Yolanda, are you there? Yes, I am. Hi, what's your question, comment, or observation? Uh, comment. Mm-hmm. Um, I moved uh, back in the early 80s from South Carolina, Charleston, and I live here. I've been living here since I uh, graduated from college. Mm-hmm. And uh, South Carolina and 
Oakland, two totally different places. Um, the folks uh, down south uh, tend to be a little more um, respectful uh, um, and hospitable. Sure. Uh, that being said, um, I want to say thank you very much for sharing all of what you have shared. Um, you have a wonderful program, and I commend you to take up time to, to say what you're saying because it's not happening like it used to happen. You know, I grew up in a wonderful family environment where we were the first family. My fa- grandfather pastored a church for years. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, sincerity and being real is all that I know. Right. Um, that being said, um, when I run into folks that uh, tend to have, you know, I'm not going to say problems, but, you know, you could tell, you know, I always find good words for them. Right. Um, I, I I can say I almost treat people better than I treat myself. Right. Despite the fact that they, I may not get that back in return. That's okay. Right. Because I know the godly thing to do is that. Yep. And I think that the only thing that's going to change everyone's perspective is for them to don't um, you have to resist those things and it comes from the inside Mm -hmm. and it's a sincere kind of character that a lot of us just don't have we don't pay attention to it and you know um, I, I just say if I can't help someone or say something to them that'll make their day good. I just give them a smile and walk on. Are you in South Carolina at present? No, I'm, I live here in California, but I'm from Charleston, okay. South Carolina. Uh, I travel back and forth all the time. Right. Um, see my family. Right. How long have you been here? Since 1983. Okay. So yeah, you, you're, you're very much aware of, of our culture here in the Bay Area and how it has morphed and changed and actually disintegrated. So here's what I would say, the distinction between South Carolinians as well as North Carolinians and, and our, our brothers and sisters in the South period. And I'm sure that I'm you know stating the obvious with you, but just for the record, because I'm fascinated by society and culture uh, as a pastor and as a Christian, and, and we really need need to know how to uh, how to understand the context of the culture we live in. Uh, the Bay Area, actually, um, we are a migrant community uh, coming from the south uh, and and, uh, and and the East Coast uh, for the last 70, 80 years, as you know, um, during the war and seeking work. Uh, and we uprooted and came from uh, um, forms of culture and uh, traditions, Pauline, that uh, were left behind when we came to the West Coast. And it actually be, be, it became detrimental to us in terms of our families and in terms of our values and certainly in terms of any robust, uh, solid uh, biblical expression. Uh, we really did become materialistic. Um, we, 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 um, we were superficial. Uh, and that set us up for a whole lot of division and conflict as a people group. So I'm speaking relatively um, 
as a like a third or fourth generation. I'm, I'm probably a third generation. I'm a baby boomer. So I'm in my my uh, middle uh, 50s. And I can say that remembering when I was growing up um, mm-hmm. everywhere here in the Bay Area, there was even then a very sparse sense of uh, monolithic uh, attitude towards a, a, a culture of deep and profound family commitment. You'd see it here or there. But basically, we had been broken up by um, a lack lack of discernment and a lack of prioritizing uh, values that you can still see in the South and on the East Coast, et cetera, where pockets of, of people know what it means to have family and know what it means to say hello to your neighbor and to be kind to people relative to um, you having to stick together because you had a history where you had to stick together for a ton of reasons that uh, that makes the Bay Area. Uh, different. We are balkanized. Uh, we are segregated emotionally and practically and socially on a lot of levels. And that's why there is that radical difference that you're talking about. Right. And and I, I also find that, you know, I really believe if we really respect our culture, right. I mean, if we really, really, really respect our culture, I mean, look at it from where we came from and to where we now I think we'd be really different. If we really could do that, but we can't do that. We just, I don't know. We just can't do that. But as I said, with me, what I try to do, I understand it. And the only way that it's going to change is for folks like you, folks like I, no matter what, you just got to keep putting the positive out. Whether you get positive back in, you just got to keep putting it out. I agree. Can I ask you one more thing before I let you go? Um, do sure. you do you look forward to Christmas, uh, the Christmas season, or is that something that's that's dubious for you? I, you know, be honest with you, I've been away from my. That's what family I want you so to do, I want you to be honest with me. I, I I look forward to celebrating the birth of Jesus. Yes. that's really what it's about right. for me. Right. Uh, I I don't do um, all the glitters yeah. and the. I, you know, I may buy a poinsettia. I'm yeah. very low keyed, and I look at what it's really about and not I'm, I'm not caught up into the shopping and all yes, that ma'am. that's I'm a, i don't I, do that i got you I got you. You you're like you're light for the flight, and um, that that minimizes stress levels. It minimizes uh, mis- uh, disappointments. It minimizes so much. I'm getting ready to expand so on that. Much exactly. Yeah. I don't want. I mean, it's just too much we have out there yep. that we don't need. Yep. We don't. We don't understand. We don't need it, but we get it. And it's like I, I, I'm sorry. It's like it's just not a. I mean, it's not uh, uh, conducive to our health. Yep. I mean, I mean, it's just. What can I say? I, I, I know, I, you, you know you said it all. Have you listened to the program before? This was actually my first time. Um, actually, to be honest with you, I, I've heard, I listened to you some evenings, but when I came in today, something just said, nah, let me give Call. No, I'm glad you did. I'm glad you did. I'm glad you did. Mm -hmm. I hope to be able to spur your thoughts on in the future as well. And I might become a a common voice in your midst. Thanks for the call, Yolanda. Thank you so much. All right. Blessings. Let me go to line two before I take a break and talk with Marlis in Castro Valley. Marlis, are you there? Yes, I am. Yes. Um, What's your question, comment or observation, young lady? I have a question. I have two questions. Mm Mm-hmm. They're very different. My first question is, uh, is it okay for a Christian to listen to 
I like the song. I love this song called A Thousand Years. It's it's a very beautiful song. Mm-hmm. But it's the theme song from the Twilight Saga, which is about a vampire who has a relationship with a teenage girl. Mm-hmm. And the movie has been even, uh, I guess, spoken of by uh, the critics as, not critics, but evaluators as having some atrocious features in it. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I just, I just, when I found out the source of the music, I stopped listening to it. But I want to know if I'm being legalistic or if I'm being wise. Vampires to me represent demons, uh, sucking people's blood, having romantic, bizarre relationship. That doesn't seemed to be anything I should be connected to, but the music was great, and I heard, I found out about the source of this music after I liked it, but since I heard about it, I don't listen to it anymore. Mm-hmm. There's other songs, like uh, in the 50s, called If Ever I Would Leave You, right. theme from the Sandpiper. Both, these, both of these songs are gorgeous, but they're from adulterous affairs. Sure, so sure. I just kind of wonder... Am I being legalistic or no. am I being wise no. No. to not get you, into that? <laughs> no, you're not being legalistic. You're not being legalistic. That So we're not going to bring legalistic uh, in terms of its virtue and vices into this particular um, situation. This situation is common to all of us relative to something exciting us emotionally that we are not aware of its origins or its roots. And that will be the case for many things, Marlis. There will be many things that will excite you, that will excite your eyes, which you, with you, which, which you see, that will excite your hearing, uh, with which you hear, that will excite your, your touch, with which you feel, or will excite your uh, stomach with which you eat. And that's because the thing itself, disconnected from its origin, will have its own impact on you, whether or not you know the origin um, or not. And when once you find out about the origin, the necessity or desire to divorce uh, yourself from the thing because the thing is inseparably connected to the origin can be a very good thing relative to you not wanting to promote uh, the origin of that thing. For instance, if you are um, if you are um, eating something that's devoted to idols and that thing that you're eating is is well known uh, and has a reputation for being uh, devoted to idols, then you are going to uh, divorce that pleasure simply because that pleasure is inexorably tied to a practice that you know is contrary to God's word. And as a child of God, you don't want to do it. On the other hand, uh, if you don't know that it's attached to an there's no problem there. Uh, the Bible says whatsoever is not a faith is sin. Until we understand a thing in terms of its origin and the and the the substantial connection between the two, there's going to be a lot of things you and I buy, eat, wear, and do that have roots in uh, this new age um, uh, anti-biblical uh, philosophy and worldview. Starbucks coffee, Pete's coffee, restaurants here and there, all over the place. I've talked about this for years that the 
first and second century Roman empires uh, with their prevailing uh, idolatries and and worship of the different false gods um, have been translated now in our in our culture to the secular model of consumerism so that they don't take on an overt calling to worship pagan gods like Aquarius, the sign that's on your Starbucks coffee, et cetera, et cetera. But behind the scenes with most most of the things that we're engaged in, because America is a harlot country of uh, of, of prostitution on so many levels in terms of its materialism, uh, we are engaged in it. Um, we also want to be careful of the principle of a genetic fallacy, and that is to say that we don't we don't want to find ourselves wasting time always trying to find a root of a thing in order to make sure that we aren't inadvertently engaging in a practice that um, that at its roots may have a problem. There are going to be many songs in the Christian church. I'm just going to say this and then I'll let you go. There are, there are songs in the Christian church. When you look behind the scenes and, and discover who wrote them and you begin to do the history on the persons that wrote the song, the song is beautiful. The song may be even edifying theologically, but you're going to have to divorce the song that came from the person that wrote it because the song itself does not drive you propositionally back to the source. So I don't know the two songs that you're talking about in terms of the content of the songs, but if the content of the songs lead people back to the source so that they begin to contemplate the connection between the song and vampires or the connection to the song and adultery, then yes, then we're putting stumbling blocks between before people's faces or we're stumbling ourselves. And as a Christian, we have to be uh, men and women of understanding. We have to be prudent and wise. So this is just a matter of discernment. So I'm going to leave that there because my time is way up. So be careful not to uh, exercise genetic fallacies. Don't look for a demon under every rock uh, because of what you eat, wear, smell, drink, etc. But if it shows itself um, uh, unsearched for and unprovoked, you get a chance to look and say, well, now propositionally, does this thing in its own right uh, promote the root? If it doesn't, then you may continue to engage in it. As I stated, if we really begin to examine some of the songs that are done not only in, in, in ancient culture um, or in the uh, Enlightenment era, where a lot of secularists uh, wrote Christian songs for the church. And even today, many of your authors today, your artists today, you listen to the song and you go, the song is neutral or the song is good. But the artist is dubious, if not altogether practicing sinful behavior. So we got to be careful. Thanks for the call. Let me see here. Uh, Deb, you hold on. I'll take you after the break. And Lena as well. I'm so glad the sisters are calling on this Monday edition of Lifeline. Um, two lines open, one 367 Looking forward to talking to you. If you want to call and talk on the Monday edition of Lifeline, we'll be right back.